Have you ever heard of the term busy work? If you've never heard of the term busy work, I suspect you've felt busy work before. I suspect you've had it in your life. The best definition of busy work that I've read is simply this. It's work that keeps you busy but has little value in itself. And I learned to do that on well, a very early time in my life, right? Uh, right through college, right through university, right through seminary, and sometimes even in my work week as a pastor, I find myself falling into the trap of doing busy work, something that is, it looks like I'm being productive, but it really has very little value at all. Um, you know, I'll, I'll know that I have a project due that's due tomorrow or due by the end of the week. And I'll look at my desk and think, this, this is messy. I need to organize my desk in order to make sure that I have the right focus for life. I, and then by the time I reorganize my desk, sure, it's, it's good work. It's done, but I haven't got my assignment done. I haven't got that uh, deadline accomplished that I needed to, to reach. We do it as parents too, don't we? Sometimes we give our kids busy work just, just to keep them busy, just to keep them going, keep them doing something so that they stay occupied and not bored or, you know, sometimes they kind of nag us and bother us and bother us and bother us and we need a break, so we'll give them busy work. When I was a pastor of children and youth, one of the things that I did was to run the kids' church program during Sunday morning services. And sometimes, I, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but sometimes the, the big service, the adult service, went a little longer than they scheduled. And I ran out of uh, things to be teaching, groups to be doing, and then we'd have all of these kids waiting for their moms and dads. And one of the things that I would do was play a game that really, I don't even remember if it had a name. But the, the game was to stay motionless as long as possible. And I would watch to see if you moved in any way. And if you moved in any way, then you were out. You could not play anymore. And so there would be kids who would be sitting as still as possible. And I'd see them blink and I'd say, ha-ha, I saw you blink, you're out. So over time, the kids who never won got really frustrated, and I told them, listen, this is how you'd play this game. What you do is you lay down on your stomach on the ground, on the floor, and you put your, your arm over your eyes so that you don't see anyone, just like you were asleep. And let's see how long you can stay motionless now. All of a sudden, kids who couldn't stay still for two seconds are now staying still for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I mean, hyperbole, of course. But you get the idea. There was no winner except me who had to keep them occupied so that they would be, uh, had something to do while they waited for their parents to finish in big church. We do that. We do that in our personal lives. We do that as parents. I did it in my work schedule. Maybe you do uh, the same. And, and one of the reasons why busy work exists is because we often struggle implementing the priorities that we want to have in our lives. We say we want this, but we know it's a real uphill climb, and so we'll do little small things that help us feel like we've accomplished something, but in reality, they didn't contribute much of value at all. And 
I bring this up, I bring up the idea of busy work because of something that we mentioned last week in our series called Missing Church. I'm not going to recap the whole series. I encourage you that if you haven't seen the series to visit our website and to watch the remainders of the series or to subscribe uh, to our podcast on your favorite uh, podcast uh, software or app and take a listen and go through the whole series. Again, I want to say thank you to Bo Eckert from... Uh, Calvary Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He's the lead pastor there. He's a good friend of mine, uh, a fellow member of Crosstalk Global, um, a a ministry that I'm a part of and serve with. And uh, he loaned me this series. He said, absolutely, use the notes, use the the questions that were asked. And so I'm very thankful for his help uh, with implementing this series. So I'm not going to recap, though, everything that we've talked about so far, like sometimes I do. I just want to recap what we talked about last week. And that is last week we talked about how the church is his priority, as in God's priority. The church is God's priority because Jesus himself is a priority. And by extension, I said that the church is a priority, not because the church is a priority, but his church is a priority because Jesus is a priority. Does that really, is that really true? Is it really true that if we want to have Jesus as our priority, we need to have Jesus' church as a priority? I mean, my wife has things that are a priority to her, but they aren't a, a priority to me. We just have those differences in mind. And so, do I really need to have Jesus' church as a priority if I want to make Jesus a priority in my life? After all, There was a movement um, back in, I think, in the 90s and all through the 2000s where people were saying, "I I want to follow Jesus. I love Jesus, but I don't love his church, and I'm going to walk away from his church. Well, I think that's when we get confused as to what church is really like. And that's what I want to talk about today, because to prioritize Jesus is to prioritize his church because it is a prioritizing of what he's building. Of all of the things in creation that he could be giving his attention to, he's giving an enormous amount of potential and instruction and encouragement and development to his church. And it's in his church where we see the practical and personal growth that, we, that God wants us individually to have. And what I mean by that is this. The church is not this building. The church is not what you see here. The church is where God is not building a building. Where God is building a people. He's not building a meeting But he's giving opportunities in those meetings where you and I get a chance together to take a next step. And so today, I think it's helpful to remember that as God's church, as we prioritize God's church, we need to prioritize God's people. Why is that? What does it mean to prioritize God's people? And why? Why should we prioritize God's people? And an even better, an even better question might be this. What does it mean to be a part of God's people? What do we experience because we are part of the people of God? 
Well, if you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see a church that was pretty broken in the way that it existed in the culture and the place of Corinth where it was. There was a group of people that were fragmented. And the Apostle Paul, the church planter Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament for us, wanted to help them understand as well that the church was worth investing in. Because their fragmenting had started to say, I don't need you in my life. I know you're part of the church. I know you follow Jesus, but that doesn't make who you are important to me. And Paul says, actually, it's because they are part of the church that that should make them a priority to us. To prioritize Jesus, we must prioritize his church, his people. He says this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. The church is the place, God's people is the place that we find real unity with others. Because no matter who you are, no matter what place you're from, no matter where you grew up, no matter how you grew up, no matter the decisions that were made, and no matter the consequences that you had to face in your life because of other people's decisions, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything becomes equal. All of those things aren't as important as have you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, that's what we, we celebrate, this unity. A communion. The church is the place where we find a common identity. We don't have to look a certain way. We don't have to be tall or short or male or female or have reached a particular social economic status or have reached a certain amount of success in life. We simply say that we have faith in Jesus. That's what brings you into the church. That's how Jesus has leveled the playing field. And communion demonstrates that. You can come to communion at this place, and we hope to be able to celebrate uh, communion together soon. We're still working out some of the logistics of distribution for our, our in-person gatherings, so uh, bear with us. It should be just a few more weeks, and we should be able to gather and have communion together. But at, at the Lord's table, we, we mention regularly that this isn't just a table for people who regularly attend Trinity Alliance Church. This is not a table that is restricted by age. This is only a table that reflects whether you have recognized that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and rose from the dead and you have received that gift of salvation. You put your faith and trust in him and it's your desire to follow him. That's it. That's the great 
leveling that Jesus does with the playing field. There's no other requirements. It's like a, a driver's license. If you have a New York State driver's license, you can drive anywhere in the country. And once you have that license, it doesn't matter whether you have a certain skin color or a certain status. You just simply take the test, pay the fees, and you have that license. And that gives you all sorts of freedoms to drive all sorts of kinds of vehicles. That's very similar. But it's not even close to being the full picture of what Jesus has done. Could you imagine letting in someone who was a person who was struggling in life in criminal activities and they give their life to Christ? We might think, well, you're a special case. And Jesus says, actually, in my church, in the thing that I'm building, they're now united with, each, with you and I. They're now one with us. That's the great offer of the gospel that no matter how bad life has gotten, no matter how bad you've been hurt by your decisions, no matter how bad you've been hurt by other people's decisions, or whether you think you've been hurt at all, the great leveling field of the gospel is that we all need a Savior. Because we're all sinners. And Jesus is the perfect Savior for every person. And communion demonstrates that. We often say at communion that if you would like to receive Christ, and you would like to do that right now, then pray this prayer with me. And we'll lead people through a prayer of salvation. And they pray, and they can take communion just like a person who has been a longtime follower of Jesus Christ is now a, a senior saint, so to speak. That's what Jesus has done. We are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, Paul says. The church creates real unity. And as I think through all of the other organizations that I might want to be a part of and all of the other things that might create that kind of unity, that kind of place, a, a body, I can't think of one. That's how good God's people, church, really is. Because no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, as unique as it is, as troubled as it is, or as successful as it is, in the way that we might look at it, the uniting factor is Jesus himself. So the church creates real unity that we just don't find anywhere else. And so that's why the church is a priority as God's people. That's why the church is a priority as God's people to you and I. That's why we need each other, because that's where we find real unity. But that's not all, because Paul goes on and says that the church also provides real significance that you don't find in any other place. Now, that doesn't mean church ministry in the sense of, I want to volunteer at an event, or I want to volunteer in a thing. What I mean is that those events and those things give real significance because it turns out that we need each other more than we know. He goes on to say in verse 14 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And the eye, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has placed the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If you love to underline in your Bible, that is a great line. Its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The church creates not only real unity, but real significance. We're united by a need. We're united by a need. Jesus has called us to love one another as he has loved us. And one of the demonstrations that we would read later in the New Testament, that one of the demonstrations that we love God is that we love each other. And this is a great description of what that looks like. That you and I don't have all of the pieces in ourselves, even as we have Jesus, we don't have all of the pieces inside of ourselves to be everything that God wants us to be. We need each other. No one person is the body of Christ. We need each other. No one person is the church. We need each other to be the church, to be God's people. And so... In order to express that we really do love God, in order to demonstrate that we are becoming like Jesus, we need each other and God gives us gifts. He kind of uh, uses the metaphor of being hand and eye and things like that in order to show that our bodies would look really dumb if we didn't have eyes, if we only had ears, right? And we need each other in order to be everything that God wants us to be in order so that everyone can be everything that God wants them to be. That's the amazing thing that God is building. And that is real significance. The things that you do, the ministries that you are a part of, and the care, the concern that you show for other people as they want to journey towards Christ. That's building God's people. That's real significance. That's the win, in other words. Um, when I was uh, younger, I played a lot of baseball um, in high school. I wasn't very good at it. 
Uh, basketball was a much easier sport for me because it turns out it's a better sport for tall people. But as a, as a kid who was going through all sorts of growth spurts, I found it difficult to make all of my limbs work at the right time for baseball. There were some kids that were just amazing at it, and I was terrible, but I was still put on the team. And I was on the team, I would sometimes play in the outfield, sometimes I would just come up late and hit in a game where maybe the game wasn't close, If you know, I was a bench player. And I couldn't really hit well, I couldn't be depended on to hit, so I'd be put lower down in the lineup. I couldn't pitch, I couldn't throw very hard, sometimes I couldn't see the ball very well, <laughs> but I could run. I could run. And when it came time for speed, speed in the outfield for defense, or speed on the base paths, that was one of the things that I was good at, that I excelled at. And I was put into, the, into play for those moments, for those moments. But it wasn't because, now look at Brian, look at him run, look at him do these things. It was order to get the win. That's what it means to have real significance. I knew I couldn't do everything for the team. But I could play a significant part. And you can do that for the church. Not just Trinity Alliance Church, but the people who call Trinity Alliance Church home. Over the next few weeks in our emails, we're actually going to be discussing how you can take advantage of some things that we say, we, I think, are necessary next steps for all Christians, but especially for us here at Trinity, in order to develop the kind of concern for each other that they grow to be everything that God wants them to be. Now, here's the challenge that we have with this passage, though. The challenge that we have with this passage is simply that the body is a confusing metaphor. I mean, we understand the picture, but when we think of the body, we don't think of all of us being attached like we're some kind of transformer. If you remember the transformers, if you don't, don't worry about it. But if you remember the, the transformers, and they'd sometimes combine to become a really large transformer, that kind of a thing. That's a weird image for people. No, when we, when we hear the image of the body, we think of our own bodies. We think of our culture. We think of individual, uh, individualized pictures of what our body is, of what our body type is. We do that with diets. We do that with exercise. We do that with sleep patterns and work patterns. Hey, whatever works for you matters. But you have to remember the thing about metaphors. Metaphors are fantastic because they help us get a picture of, oh, that's how it's supposed to function. That's what it looks like in real life. However, metaphors break down when we take them too far. They're never meant to be a full description, but they're meant to help us visualize the essence, the nature of something that might be a little bit more abstract of what it means to be the people of God. It means to be the body. And the way that Paul overcomes that is that he doesn't just use the metaphor of the body as the one metaphor, the only metaphor that you can use to describe God's people, the church. He has another metaphor. And there's a better metaphor, I think, for you and I today in our culture that really helps us capture the essence of, what, of how the church creates real unity and how the church creates real significance. I just want to show you these verses. You don't have to turn, with, to turn in your Bibles to them, but let me just point them out to you. It's in Ephesians 2, where we read in verse 19, 
that consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people. That's one metaphor, but it's not the one I'm focusing on. And also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We are members of God's household. In other words, we're members of his family. And back when, when Paul wrote, it would often be a sign of wealth that extended families would live together under one roof. The more rich, uh, the more wealth you had, the more possessions you had, oftentimes a larger home would be there and you'd have aunts and uncles living together. You might have uh, grandma and grandpa living under the same roof. You'd have servants and the servants and those who worked for you, they would also, those, all those people would be considered part of that household. It was more than just what we would call the nuclear family, mother, father, children. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about household, when he talks about family. And isn't that interesting that the wealth of those households back then would be demonstrated because you could have more of your family under one place, under one banner, with one goal. And that's what God's family is as well. They were, these households, they were unified by their identity. We are unified by our identity. And they were unified by need. We are unified by need. Again, there's, we're not the head of the body. We're not the head of the family. Jesus is. And so we all work, and everyone would work in those ancient households to represent the household. They would work to represent that, that one leader, that one family slash household name. And that would mean sometimes they would give up and sacrifice for the benefit of the household. That's a great picture of who we are as a church family. That means that we don't give up on family who's struggling. That means that struggles don't change that you belong to the family. You're still part of the family. And even if you might bring a, a, a bit of a, a stain to the family name, that doesn't mean you can't make it better, you can't make it right. And the family will work to help you. I love that picture. I love that metaphor. The body, we think it's more individualized today. Individualized plans for care. And certainly, we all have to make individual decisions about how we're going to be part of the people of God. But I think a better metaphor for us in our season of where we are today is that they're family. Paul would later say to one of his uh, ministry companions, a guy named Timothy, early on in ministry, kind of a uh, the older mentoring the younger, the older seasoned veteran uh, training the new guy, he would say, uh, honor older people in your church like they're your father and mother. Honor those who are younger, like they're your brother and sister, like they're your children, like they're yours, like they're your part of the family. When, you're, when your child 
does something and spills something and knocks something over. You don't kick them out of the family because they, they spilled some milk or they spilled a glass of juice on the table or on the carpet. You may get mad at them for a little bit, but they don't get removed from the family for that. We treat our animals better than that when they make messes. And that's the kind of attitude that we need to have as the people of God, as the family of God. Because if we're going to prioritize Jesus, we need to prioritize his church. But that doesn't mean necessarily prioritizing meeting. It means prioritizing one another. The meetings are an opportunity to do just that. And it's because we're God's family where we find real unity real significance. It's there that we learn that not only does God's family need us, but that we need God's family. Some questions that you can discuss as you're uh, closing up. You can discuss them uh, sitting around uh, your table or in your living room uh, right now or in your growth group. These questions will come up later uh, this week. Question one. How does viewing ourselves as family members in the church help us understand one another's value and role? Question two. Discuss practical ways you can make sure we are not rebuilding walls of division and instead developing equal concern for one another. We are God's family. And we prioritize each other because we prioritize Jesus. We need God's family. And God's family needs you. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for each and every person who is watching. For those who have uh, been a long-time member of the family, or new member of the family, or just investigating being part of the family of God. Lord, I pray that you would bless them in that journey, help them to take the next steps that they need to take. And would you help all of us to value each other, to value each other for those who call this local church home, in our online campus, in our in-person campus. Would you help us to value each other because we value you. Lord, you've brought us real unity. And you've brought us real significance in this family. You've used us to help others grow in their relationship with Christ. And you've used others to grow us in our relationship with Jesus. We need each other. We need your family because we are one body. And so, Lord, would you give us each, each one of us wisdom to develop that kind of equal concern, the same that we would have for our, our parents, our kids, our spouses, our brothers and sisters, like they were our own flesh and blood, because they are your family. That is the priority that you place on them. Would you help us to also place a priority on your church because it is your family and we are part of that and we need that. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.